0: Welcome to The War on Weight, where I'm gonna teach you how to have simple health habits and food solutions that's gonna make weight loss easy. Have you ever felt like you're in this continuous battle within your mind and body? Are you fighting to find the woman under all those extra pounds? Are you sick and tired of starting and stopping the diet of the week? Do you feel like you're losing the war on weight? Hi, I'm Keetha, and I'm your new best friend. I've spent a lifetime on the losing side of the battle, for more than 25 years, I was more than 50 pounds overweight. I was frustrated. I was exhausted, I was self-conscious. And despite any success I had in life, I felt like a failure. But I've won the war. How did I do it, you ask? I discovered how to implement simple, healthy habits, how to completely revamp my mindset and embrace some things that were causing me to turn to food over and over again. Lastly, I discovered how to make nutrition really really simple i've dropped more than 50 pounds and finally raised my victory flag on my overall health including success on the scale if you're tired of feeling like a prisoner in your own body you're just completely uncomfortable with yourself you're tired of buying clothes to hide your body you're tired of having your weight affect all your relationships with yourself and others you've been eating your feelings and then beating yourself up about it then this is the podcast for you Let's armor up, sister, and fight this war on weight together.
1: Coach Keitha sits today with Jane Pilger to discuss her binge history and the freedom she found in a masterclass that Jane taught a couple years back. She also shares more in-depth on her battling with binging. It's not an easy subject to talk about, so she's brought in an expert. Here's a little about Jane. Jane has been coaching women on binge eating, food freedom, and body trust since 2013, On the outside, she's always looked like a very successful person, with many achievements and certifications to her name. But on the inside, she felt like she had one very big shameful secret, that she was out of control with food. She spent decades trying to get her eating and her body under control. Giving up on the quest for control and perfection were key to ending her binging. It took looking at what she was doing in a new way, understanding how she was setting herself up to binge and constantly working against herself rather than with herself. It took developing trust and turning shame and judgment into compassion and curiosity. Whether you're a binge eater, someone who doesn't trust themselves with certain foods, or someone who just doesn't understand why they behave the way they do sometimes, she's got you. She'll teach you how to understand your behavior, how to develop trust with yourself, and how to cultivate the support that you need to navigate life. Her approach is rooted in the science of the brain and body, trauma-informed, and filled with compassion. When Jane isn't coaching, she's either connecting with friends and family, pursuing finish lines, resting, or planning the next adventure. She strives to make a difference in the lives of those around her while living a life of love, trust, adventure, and growth. Let's jump right into their conversation.
0: Alrighty. Jane, you really don't know a lot about me other than I'm one of the thousand of women who took your binge better course through the no BS weight loss course. But before I got started, I just wanted to maybe share a little bit about my history with you and the listeners. And my listeners know that I have an issue, have an issue with binging and have discussed it a couple of times. I have a plethora of things in my genes that I believe that contribute to food issues. Alcoholism, drug addiction, anxiety, depression, and they've all manifested themselves in different ways and in different family members. Addiction is addiction, and it rears its ugly head in our families, and you know, and we just have to learn how to to really deal with that. It didn't really hit me until I was tearing a few things apart in my life when we were really looking in the program as being a scientist that how. Food and weight had really been, always been a battle for me. But during that binge better course, I found myself saying I either ate or drank. I never did both. And I was Oh, what does that mean? It's like, it it reminded me so much of a long time ago. And I was in Al-Anon many, many years ago. And I had someone ask me if I was an alcoholic. And my response at the time was no, I don't really drink. Like my whole world did not allow me to drink between the alcoholics around me, my, you know, family of origin issues, things like that. I just didn't, it didn't know, it didn't give me the comfort to be able to do that. And, you know, I, I saw the terrible outcomes of it. You know, I spent a lot of time in church growing up, you know, and drunk people, I mean, the church people weren't getting drunk or high. I mean, you know, you just don't really, you know, as a child, you don't really realize that you're going to food for comfort. I have very distinct memories of getting, getting food when I was sick or I didn't feel good. Or being alone, you know. To this day, I still want, when I get sick, I want McDonald's or food. You know, the older I got, the more comfort I found in food. Diets were introduced to me really early on, long before I had a weight issue, and then that jeopardized my comfort. And so I began eating in secret. We moved around a lot. I felt alone a lot. I, even when I was surrounded by people, food became my friend, and it just got more and more ingrained in me over the years that that was my comfort. I really felt like, like even just getting my first car, I was so excited because I could go to get fast food anytime I wanted to. Like, it was just like, it became my comfort and safe place. I can remember sitting in the car and just eating with no one around me because then I didn't have to hide it. Like, it was just like, it became my friend. And if and you fast forward, you know, many years down the road, it continued to control me as I got pregnant. You know, when you and you gain 86 pounds being pregnant and then you can't get that weight off because those same food cycles have continued, you can't hide it. I tried all kinds of diet programs. I felt more failure and shame. And, you know, there's just so much to it. But I just thought that, one, to start this conversation, I wanted to share that I found freedom. And I found that your course gave me a lot of that freedom and having you here today is just such an honor, and I feel so very privileged to not only have learned from you, but then have you here to share with my listeners a little bit about your story and how of been binging and how you have worked with others who binge. So yeah. tell me just a little bit about you.
2: Yeah. yeah, well, first, I just wow, I mean, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're right, I really didn't know anything about your story, and I think what's so remarkable about it is that. I can relate so much to so many aspects of what you shared and I know that so many of your listeners and so many people, women, men, uh, anybody, so many people out there can also can also relate. It's it's a struggle that so many people endure, but it's such a silent struggle and I think that's one of the things that is that makes it a struggle is that there's so much shame involved we feel broken we feel like there's something wrong with us why can't i get it together why can't i do what i know i'm supposed to do but i can't tell anybody what would they think of me if they knew these awful terrible things that i did behind you know closed doors or in my car or in secret and so we don't realize just how many people are going through the exact same thing. And I think there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of almost relief in knowing you're not alone in knowing that there are people who do the same thing. There are people who are reacting to food in the same way that it's not some, you know, flaw in yourself personally, that you're not broken and and i think that for me that's a lot of the work that i really do is is working to help people understand that you're not broken it it really makes sense there's a very good reason why you do what you do and that's something that i'm just i'm so passionate about having spent decades feeling broken and feeling that shame and not feeling like i really had anybody to talk to about it. What I realize is the more that I talk about it and the more that I share, the more people op- open up and say, "Wow, me too. You know, I have this experience or I can't understand what you are going through there, but here's the other place you know that that I struggle." And so, um, you know, I think that's just super powerful. So I appreciate you sharing your experience and uh, yeah. So my, a little bit about my history. I started, I grew up in a family where my family is amazing. Um, but we didn't really talk about, we didn't talk about emotions. We didn't really have the difficult conversations and I just didn't really learn how to deal with handle or process emotions when I was young. And I think that's the case for, you know, many people, um, you know, in, in my, age range. And when I went to college, I went on, um, I had a period of time right before I went to college where I went on a little, kind of like a little mini Peace Corps type of thing. And I gained quite a bit of weight in a short period of time and had stretch marks and all the things. And that really started my stuff around body and wanting to change it and having a lot of body shame going on my first restrictive diet then I went to college, I was having big emotions, I didn't know what to do about them. I was also very much restricting my food. And I binged for the first time in my dorm room, I was surrounded just, I was just surrounded by a box of um, chocolates, candy that was sent to me as a care package. And I remember sitting on that floor, just surrounded by wrappers and this empty box and thinking. Oh my gosh, what did, like what did I just do? Like it was almost like a blackout moment. And for I proceeded to binge for decades and really through from that first time, I think it was very much from an approach of I am broken, there is something wrong with me, I need to stop this terrible thing that I'm doing. And I tried all kinds of things, therapists, Eating disorder specialists. I went through two rounds of intensive outpatient therapy as uh, at an at a local eating disorders treatment center. Books, you name the books, the programs, the diets. You know, I've essentially done it all. And through all of those things, I will say, I generally, I always learned something. I learned a little something new. And if I look back on it, I can see where I was kind of building, gaining the building blocks to understanding, but I was still trying to stop this terrible thing that I was doing and I was still very much hating that I binged and wishing that I didn't binge and you know looking at approaches like never binge again and don't do these things and all of these things and w- wondering like why can't I why can't I do this? why can't I just stop eating these foods and have that be the answer and um, I think being once I was able to kind of shift into really, really believing that I wasn't broken and really looking to understand why I binged and kind of see it at, you mentioned it earlier, like look at it from a scientist perspective, as opposed to that, that judge, you know, kind of like really judging myself and hating myself for it. When I was able to shift into curiosity into compassion and really look at some of those aspects, then I was able to really just kind of start looking at it in a different way, which gave me more access. You know, Albert Einstein has a quote that I love, which is, it's something to the effect that you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it. So the Mm. mind that created my binging was coming from a place of, uh, you know, like I'm broken, I can't handle this. Um, You know, I'm out of control. Those types of thinking are what created and kind of kept me binging. And so a new mind had to kind of come into the picture, which was the more of the like, why, why is this happening? Why, why, what is going on kind of from a curiosity and a compassion place that's not just focused on the behavior and the food, which is where most of us want to put our attention because I mean, it, it makes sense, right? It's like, it's the food that we're eating. So we need to change the food that we're eating. So we just focus on the food, but the food and eating is really a symptom of so many other things that are going on underneath. So I really work to help people understand kind of like what's going on underneath and really look at it in a different way you said so many good things there. You know, one of the things that, that I felt, you know,
0: especially as I was growing up, you know, you talked about your family being amazing. My family's amazing. Okay. Like it, it's not, it did, this did not stem from a lack of love, right. but it's a perception of something. You know, it's, it's, it's just a lot there. I mean, and you, and you just have so many broke, you just feel broken. And even, and not in your, and you're not understanding why do I feel this way when I shouldn't, how is it that I am X, Y, and Z, but I'm still broken. Like yeah. it, it's really, really hard to, to, to process. And I think it takes a lot of an emotional intelligence to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think when this, this develops with a lot of us, we don't have that. Right. Um, and so I think that, you know, doing the work, like you said, every book, every course, everything I've done, I've learned something. And it was one of the reasons I wanted to start my podcast. I say that this podcast, War on Weight, is a toolbox mm. of all the things that I've done and learned and pieces of that have definitely like contributing to my success and weight loss. Yeah. And it's not a one-stop shop. I don't right. think. I think everybody finds different things, and I think each guest that I have and each element that comes in, I think somebody's going to learn something, mm-hmm. and it may not be not. You may not, one person may not learn something from each, but they're going to definitely learn something from the one that pertains to them.
2: Yeah, you know, I was just, curious. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was curious, you had mentioned earlier that the, um, that the, the binge better course was really impactful for you. And I was curious what, if there was anything specific or particular within that course that you felt was, um, was impactful for you, your journey specifically.
0: You would think that we have a script right now because literally (laughs) that's the next thing on my list. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. So, um, and it kind of helps me laugh a little bit. So um, one of the things I I tend to do is when things get hard, I laugh.
2: Hmm. When I
0: get nervous, I laugh. When there are things that hurt really bad and hard for me, I laugh. So sometimes it's this inappropriate laugh. So like I kind of felt it coming on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for me, night one of the masterclass, when you offered the Bench Better class, I remember distinctly with my laptop at my kitchen counter, we couldn't have been 10 minutes into the first call and I was doubled over on my counter in tears with my stomach in knots. Like it was all so hard to hear. You know, just one of the things that happened during that time was that you started talking about things that people have done in binging. Mm. And you made the comment there's nothing any of you can say that you haven't heard or done. And you told us to put it in the chat. The chat blew up with all these things that I thought I was the only person who had ever done them. And those were things that are really, really hard. And I still work with those. So I'm not going to share those. But I was wondering if you could share some of the things that you've heard people say or do around binging that hits us so hard because we realize we're not the only person. Yeah. Um, and I think that you probably understand which question and, and where I'm coming from on that.
1: Um, yeah. If not that
0: I probably could go a little bit deeper, but tell us like some things that, same things that maybe if you're not a binger would shock you. And if yeah. you are a binger, it would shock you that you're not alone
2: why don't we start with, I know one question that I get a lot when people at, when, you know, when I start talking about binging, some people ask the question, like, well, how do I know if I'm a binger or not? How do I know, how do I classify if something's a binge, you know, versus overeating or whatever? And, and I, I think it's simultaneously important to distinguish and not at all important to distinguish. And what I like to say is that it's, the reason that I find it important to distinguish is that it when we're talking about a binge, it is often the some of the kind of key hallmarks I'm not going to get into like the d s m five and the technical diagnostic, you know, specifics per the manual because that doesn't matter. But when I'm talking about a binge, there are generally some kind of key hallmarks, which is eating large quantities of food beyond what somebody might normally consider consuming in one sitting eaten very quickly generally eaten there's generally a lot of, of shame involved there's ge- it's generally eaten in secrets and sometimes there are very odd concoctions and i'll kind of get back to this when i answer your your question about um you know kind of some of the specifics around binging but sometimes the things that one a person might eat in a binge might be something that you wouldn't even necessarily consider eating during a non binge episode. And there's generally a sense of not being able to stop. So kind of this feeling of being out of control, not being able to stop needing kind of this feeling very compulsed to keep eating until some people literally will just eat until like they physically can't eat anymore um until uh maybe their body rejects it or until somebody shows up or comes home or you know whatever so and and then overeating is like wow i'm really full you know like thanksgiving like thanksgiving full you know where mm-hmm. you just you get full and you know maybe you need to loosen your pants a little bit or you go to a restaurant and your meal is so great and it's a you know huge portion and you just keep eating because it's so good and you've got some discomfort afterwards, but there's not that you will still do it around other people. And there's not the, the shame kind of that deep shame with it. So that's just a little bit of a distinction, kind of like when I talk about binging kind of what that means, I guess. Um, and so to answer your question about like, what are then kind of some things that, um, if you don't binge, you might be surprised to hear about, or if you do binge, you might also like be, relieved to know that you aren't the only one. Many times, very it is very common to drive to multiple locations to get food in, and buy food in quantities that don't seem excessive so that other people won't know just how much you're eating so maybe like i used to do this all the time for me um a lot of my binge foods would be like um cereal Uh, donuts, candies, cakes, like more kind of the sweets type of um, thing. So I would drive like from either convenience store to convenience store. I would drive from like bakery to bakery, grocery store to grocery store, buy a handful of things at each one and basically eat, continue to eat them as I was driving to the next location. But so that nobody would ever think like, wow, she's going to eat all that by herself. Some people do this with drive throughs So if, if um, the drive-thru is, you know, kind of more of your binge food, uh, people might drive to multiple drive throughs eating the food while they're on their way to the next one. Or maybe you order a pizza and you order like a large pizza. And when the delivery person comes, you know, you kind of make some comment about the family being there when you're there by yourself, you know, and going to eat it, eating. I mean, I used to eat, I ate bags of um, cereal, like granola, um, bags, bags of it without, without milk. I would just eat it um, out of the, out of the bag. I would eat to the point where I would have sores in the top of my mouth. I would eat uh, like gallons of ice cream, like very large quantities of, of ice cream, you know, when people think, you know, like maybe like multiple boxes of cookies, like the the volume of food is is significant. Um and it and it really can depend. Some concoctions, some people will um some people will make things. So let's say, for example, you're in your house and you're trying to you know keep all the quote unquote bad foods out of your house and but you're still kind of have this compulsion to eat some people will make like concoctions so they might kind of combine like um it's almost like you were like making kind of like cookie dough so you might have like you know sugar and um i don't even know what else but like whatever you could kind of come up with in your pantry i have i have eaten just straight from the bag of uh um chocolate chips you know like if if i've had chocolate chips around from like cooking or whatever um i've you know just eaten straight from there. So that's kind of uh, a, in terms of certain things that people eat or behaviors that people do definitely hiding evidence. Uh, so I used to, I would drive around when I first started binging. I, well, not when I first started, but once I was out of college, when I was in college, I was living by myself. It was very easy to hide the evidence, um, to drive to multiple places. It was very easy for nobody to know aside from the weight gain, but otherwise you know, nobody was like watching me eat or I wasn't, you know, worried about like having to hide evidence. I could just throw it away in my own, in my own apartment. Once I was living with my now husband, uh, I would drive around during the day and I would, you know, drive around. Then I would hide all of the evidence. I would stop at a gas station and I would throw all of my wrappers, all of the evidence away in the trash there so that he wouldn't know. If I did binge at home, what I would do and I would eat like um, a lot of the cereal and things that I would eat would really be his cereal because at the time I wasn't you know, allowing myself to eat such things. And I would go to the store afterwards before he came home, if I ate anything in the pantry that was you know, kind of his food, I would go to the store and I would buy more of it to replace it. And so that's kind of, so like hiding, um, hiding the evidence is very common. Also with binging, there can be this very compelling desire to make up for what you've just done. So there can be a lot of fear around, not even so much the actual like physical, like the, like the internal aspect. It's more of, am I going to gain weight? I just ate all of this food. How is this going to impact me? I've already gained weight. I can't gain any more weight, whatever, like that type of thinking. And there's this real desire to make up for it. And so in making up for it, that can show up in a lot of different ways. So it can show up in um, essentially any type of purging activity. So we can purge in a lot of different ways. You can purge through, um, through throwing up and, uh, Fortunately, I am so thankful that my body does not throw up easily. I tried many times to throw up. I tried to change the food I was eating to make it a little bit easier to come back up. Um, it was very difficult for me to throw up. And I finally at one point just decided this is too much work. Um, it's just not worth it. And I am eternally grateful. I I know for a fact I would have been bulimic if my body did that more easily. And I am so grateful. Um,
0: that I think it's that interesting that, 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 you know, that, that you felt like that you know, you were glad I felt like a failure.
1: Like mm. I really,
0: I could not throw up. Didn't matter. Mm. I tried so mm-hmm. hard and mm-hmm. it made me feel like a failure. I'm like, I can't even have an eating disorder. Like mm. I can't even throw up. Like this should be easy. Not only That's can so I not lose weight, yeah. not a, I can't stop eating. I can't stop. Can't lose weight. I can't. Yeah. I can't exercise at all. I can't.
2: And I can't even throw up. Like one more thing you couldn't do.
0: Things it was one more thing. And yeah. I mean, I think I would have felt successful, right, at the time. Well, I think- could yeah. I add, could, and it yeah. probably would have led me down a very dark, much darker road, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's interesting, but I did, I, I'd always, since I did your course, I think about that, about how, what a failure I felt like.
2: Mm, that's so interesting Be-
0: because I couldn't, because I couldn't even do that.
2: Yeah. And I was you know
0: successful. That, like everything I do in the past, I mean, I was always good at my job. Yes. I have great children. I have a great family. Like I always felt like, it looked good on the outside, but on the inside, it was just one more failure that I couldn't get right. Yes. And it was and just I, it's such yeah. a hard, like you said, just being such a harsh critic of ourselves.
2: Well, I think, hard. I think what you're explaining is, is something that a lot of people who struggle with disordered eating experience, which is from the outside, everything seems great. You know, it seems like you've got it all together. You have a lot of success. You have accolades. You have all of these other things, which I did too. But part of that comes from, it's like we try so hard to put on this facade and do all of these things and have these successes. And we don't want to expose our weakness. We don't want to be seen as weak or out of control. And so yeah. the that that sense of trying to control, trying to control ourselves, trying to control our emotions, trying to control our weight, trying to control our bodies, trying to control what we eat actually ends up that attempt that such strong attempt to control actually ends up having us feeling out of control. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the exact opposite of what we're Trying and kind of striving so hard for so Absolutely. yeah,
0: I mean, and, the, and you, you, yep. the more you, the more you try to control it, the more out of control it gets.
2: Yes, it's the it's the kind of the Chinese finger trap analogy. You know, you yes. put your fingers in and you try to pull out, and you just can't. But you try and you try and you try, and as right. it gets. Tighter and tighter. So, and just to kind of like just finish up on the the purging conversation, just so people know there uh, the other ways that purging might show up. So, there's vomiting. There is also um, laxatives. So, I tried that once, but <laughs> that was uh, enough. I was like, you know, I need to be able to leave my uh, leave my apartment. So. again, fortunately I decided that is just not something I'm going to do, but, uh, some people absolutely get into laxatives. Uh, you mentioned exercise. People can absolutely use exercise as a form of trying to make up for the binge. So it's kind of like trying to cancel out the food eaten. So if you can't, you know, cancel it out, like quote unquote, cancel it out, uh, with vomiting or with laxatives, then maybe you can exercise enough to try to, you know, make up for it. The other thing that people do a lot is they will then eat, they will, they will limit what they eat the next day. So it's like, well, I ate so much yesterday, then like, I'm not going to eat at all today, or I'm not going to eat, you know, until like tonight. And so you can end up getting yourself in this, binge restrict cycle where you binge and then the next day you restrict and you don't eat because you've binged the day before and you, you know, you feel bad and you're trying to make up for it. But then your body is like thinking, well, if we're not going to eat, then we got it, we got to get more food on board somehow. So, you know, you end up kind of keeping yourself uh, in the cycle.
0: And your body holds on to everything that you put into it because it's not sure how abusive you're going to be to it in the future. And And when it, when,
2: or if it's going to get food again, right.
0: Or in what type of food is it going to get? How much of, how much junk are you going to throw into your body to, it gets the nutrition that it needs. So it holds on to everything. One of the things we talked about just briefly earlier was about being a scientist. That's Mm. one of the things that you taught us in the class. And so my concept of the scientist is professor Klump. Remember Mm. the movie? That That was was what my, that was what my visual was. Okay. Um, And so he takes this diet pill and it shrinks him down. He's very overweight and he takes this diet pill and it shrinks him down. And the pill's only good for so long. And, but he's a scientist and he's super smart. And so anyway, I don't know why, but that's what I think about when I think about the scientist. And so I spent months really writing and writing and writing and learning about myself and the who, the what, the why, all the things that you had us do. And then you, and then you teach us to become a weather forecaster. Mm. And the weather forecaster in my mind is the cute girl got it all together. (laughs) She knows no more professor Klump. So the process, the method that you taught at the time, and I'm not sure you still teach it the same way. We're going to talk a little bit later about the courses that you currently teach, but it was called let it rain. Yeah. This was so effective for me. So could you quickly walk us through? I mean, we could walk through it and it take us six weeks, but maybe just a really high level Like, what does that look like? Because um, yeah. I know I can tell it from my side, but I'd rather rather you explain what rain is and and how you either maybe how you came up with it or how why you think it's effective.
2: Yeah, so there really is kind of um, it's a, it's a twofold concept, and I, I will definitely talk about it. You know, just kind of on a on a high level. But I I, I came up with the concept really in in this twofold manner. So the idea that our urges, our urges to binge, you know, kind of that compulsion, that strong feeling in your body where you kind of like want to come out of your skin. And it feels like the only thing that will make that go away is to eat that we call that an urge. And so that urge is kind of like what I like to think about it is like, it's like the weather. And so it's like a, you can think about it as a, as a rainstorm. And so it can just It will, it can come through. And if you don't do anything with it, it will go away. It will pass on its own. So just like a rainstorm might, you know, come through your town, you don't have to do anything to make the rain go away. Like it eventually will stop raining. And we have this kind of idea that we need to do something to make it go away, but it's, it's really the reality is when we do continue to when we do eat in order to try to solve the urge we're actually just creating more urges so being able to see it I like rain and that that rain we can let it rain we can let the rain go through we can experience it in our bodies without needing to react to it or needing to eat food and and being that weather forecaster is looking at kind of your patterns of when you binge what are the times of day What are certain situations? Really understanding when it might be more of a rainy time for you so you can kind of be prepared. You know, if you know rain's coming, you're going to have your raincoat. You're going to have your umbrella, that type of thing. The other component really brings in Tara Brock and her her self-compassion practice that's called RAIN. And that's an acronym, R-A-I-N. And the R is recognize. The A is allow. The I is investigate and the N stands for nurture. And so what we can do is when you have that urge, when you have that compulsion, that feeling like you want to come out of your skin and all you want to do is go to the pantry or go to the drive through or go to the bakery, that you can let it rain and you can apply Tara Brock's RAIN. Um, self-compassion with each of those letters to really go through the urge and be with yourself without responding to it, without, you know, kind of going to food for that to kind of go away.
0: Yeah. For me, I know when I first started trying to practice that, it took a long time to get through, to get through the acronym. Now I can see, feel it. I recognize it very quickly. And my first question is before now, before I even do the allow and the investigate my first question to myself and what I've learned for just for me and everybody's different is that my first question to myself is what do I really need right now? Yes. Like, what is it that I need right now? And usually that takes care of it.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, I, I, even just two days ago, like this is something that, that, that I know that you're very much aware of. And a lot of my listeners will be, this doesn't go away. You learn to binge. That's why I liked when you called it binge better, because then no longer it's some, not something that's going to go away, but it's something that you not necessarily manage, but you learn to process through just two days ago. I was really, really upset and stressed out over something that should not have had me upset, should not have had me. Like I was just kind of flustered and there was potato chips in the kitchen. I don't eat potato chips anymore. I really don't. Like, that's just not my thing. I don't do it. But it was as if they were screaming from the kitchen for me to come get them. I was like, no, like, no. What is it that I need right now? I needed a mental break. Yeah. And it was not Ruffles. And and it passed. I mean, and so just to have that and be able to do that, you know, I also think there's a lot to be said about and it's a completely different episode about our the chemicals in our brain and the chemical imbalances and things that go along with with you know eating sugar and you know processed carbs and things like that especially when it comes in with the food addictions and things like that but i do think that for the most part we can let it rain we can just recognize it and we can allow it we can figure out what's going on and then give ourselves what we really need and so i think that is just such like, it's just so life-changing. Like, it really does, because then you can look at yourself from a different place. Like you said, compassion and and grace. Um, we've really only just scratched the surface. But the biggest takeaway I hope that my listeners come across, come away from this episode with is, ah, I'm not a binger after all. I'm not a food addict. I just overeat. Or they say, oh, this is more of a problem than I thought. Just understanding the difference between overeating and binging is just like that could be if someone walks away from this episode with that, it's been a gift because either way, if you think there's something wrong with you and that you are, you're addicted to food or you're a binger and you're really not, but you have that in your brain that you are, that's destructive. But if you are a binger, And you don't realize it and you don't realize where that comes from. That's also destructive. So I think that would be a huge takeaway for anybody from the list from for this episode. One of the things that you have coming up are some incredible masterclasses. Um, Just reading the titles, I was like, oh, these are going to be so good. So tell us a little bit about them um, and how um, someone can get registered for them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll be, um, at least through the end of the year, I'm going to be doing um, a, a series of master classes, one a month on various topics uh, that are really just related in some way to binging. And a lot of them are topics that, you know, I kind of wished I had going, going through this. And so one of them, the the one coming up next week on July 12th is called uh, what to do after a binge. And that one's going to be amazing, uh, because as you unwind binging, you know, it's, you're going to continue to binge as you go through the process of kind of rewiring your brain and unwinding all of this. So knowing what to do afterwards is so important. Uh, so there's that one, then there, we're going to be doing one about, um, talking to your loved one about your secret eating, uh, doing one that about, that's going to be a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I I didn't,
0: I finally, after the course, because at some point during the course, it talked about having someone that was accountable. mm
2: -hmm. So
0: I remember texting someone and saying, I do not want to talk about this. I do not want any questions about this, but you're my person. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you when I bench. Yeah, yeah. And I got a thumbs up. (laughs) And that person who knows who she is, I mean, that's, that's all I needed. Yeah. I needed a, I needed, I needed someone that was not going to go, what are you doing? Stop that. Yeah. You know? And I, you know, was not able, I've talked more about it in the last six months than I have my entire life. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I think that class is going to be really a huge breakthrough for some people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that it was huge for me. I was, I was married before I even told my husband, my then husband about my binging. And I was, I was convinced that he wouldn't love me that it was, mm. it was a very, very difficult and shame filled conversation. Yeah. Um, one is speaking of shame. One of the classes is softening the voice of shame. There's shame is such a pervasive emotion and, and experience that so many people who binge feel And so kind of really understanding like what that voice of shame sounds like and how to soften it is going to be one of the classes and then perfectionism how perfectionism perpetuates binging so those for sure are the the first four master classes so they're once a month you can um get more information about the courses on my website which is just janepilgercom events and there you can go and sign up to get the information on um the the courses. I'm also in the process of writing a book, which I'm super excited really? about. Yeah, oh, exciting. Oh and my gosh. Writing wonderful. a book. So I'm hoping to um have that done here in the next, hopefully next couple of months. And uh so if you're on my mailing list, you can get get information about that when uh when it comes out. But
0: that's awesome. Yeah. I will definitely put all of those links in the show notes. Yeah. I thank you so much for being here. Is there anything that you'd like to end with or any parting words for the guest
2: yeah you know i think i was just kind of thinking about what you were talking about about like this doesn't end and i think there's there are absolutely things that do end for sure. And for some people, it does end. I think it's, there's, when we have this idea that like this has to end it, I have to get rid of this thing, then it feels very urgent. It feels very compelling. And the reason that I named the course, the the course at the time, the reason I named it Binge Better was really looking to help people understand how you can actually be making improvements binge by binging better, just because you binge, it doesn't have to be a black and a white. Oh, I binged. Therefore I'm a failure. How can you look at, I binged, but here's what I did better this time. Here's what I did differently this time. And you're in the process of, I like to see it as a process of unwinding and understanding. And then once you kind of understand what's going on, then you don't need it anymore. So then you can recognize like you did, you recognize the voice saying, Ooh, chips, like you recognize kind of the power that the chips seemed to have But then you can see it's more like it becomes more just like, oh, a light on the dashboard, a warning light on the dashboard. When I start to have those types of like kind of compelling thoughts about food now, it's it's not about the food at all. Like I know there's something else going on, then I can use that to diagnose. So there very well may be a point in the future where I don't even have those thoughts. But for now, it's just like a nice little warning light on the dashboard. Um, that's like, oh, there's something else going on to look at where then you can ask, what do I need? And these other things. So it's, it's a, it's a process really. It's
0: definitely a process. You know, when I feel like three years ago, I probably was having one to two, maybe sometimes three binges a week
2: Mm -hmm.
0: in the last two years, I probably have had less than six. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so different. Yeah. Because you don't give in to those. And so yeah. I I appreciate the process.
2: Yeah. And I
0: tend to say that a lot. Trust the process. Trust the process. Fuel your body properly. Don't treat your body well and trust the process. Because it will, if you do the work, it comes. Yeah. It really does. The peace comes. So
2: thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Here we are after one really deep episode. I did not name this podcast War on Weight because dealing with weight issues are easy. It's tough, my friends. It's all out war. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Keith, you did not lose weight doing a binge better program. And you're absolutely right. But I gained clarity and skills that I could combine with a simplified nutrition plan to give me huge success. A lot of times when I ask my clients, what do they want? They say they want to be skinny. I call the BS card on this one. What we want to do is is we want to be truly happy with ourselves because we all think skinny makes us happy. But we also know that being skinny really doesn't solve any of our problems. It just brings out the real issues. So don't worry, I'm still not gonna tell you you have to solve all your emotional issues before you can have success on the scale. Actually, what I've learned is that you need to have a little bit of success on the scale to give you the motivation to keep fighting the fight and i did this the mental work followed by the nutrition to get success the good news is when you come to work with me you do it simultaneously you can have success in your mindset success in your health habits and success on the scale all at the same time i kind of want to lighten this episode up just a little bit you know in the episode i mentioned i had visions of you know professor clump when we talk about the scientist and the cute weather girl, when I think about the weatherman forecasting. Well, I also had another visual that helped me during this process. When I would sit through an urge and I'd let it rain and I would find myself not going to eat when I was not needing to fuel my body, I would picture the song Umbrella by Rihanna. Have y'all seen the video? Like there's rain falling everywhere and she's got this black leather, Outfit on, and she's dancing around. I would turn that song on, and I would imagine my future self was singing that umbrella song back to me. The words go something like this You know me, I'm in anticipation of the precipitation. When the sun shines, we shine together. I told you I'll be here forever. I said I'll always be your friend. I took an oath. I'm going to stick it out till the end. Now that it's raining more than ever, You know that we have each other. You can stand under my umbrella. Sister, your future self is cheering you on. She's already won the war. She's holding the umbrella. I can hold that umbrella for you right now to help you stay out of the rain and just give you some success on the scale, give you the tools.